need no more than that. He sticks by his friends. Uh, that's right, the cattle buyer nodded emphatically. Mort nursed him through a bad time after Kilkenny gunned down the three Webbers. Mort stood off the gang that come to lynch Kilkenny. If in Kilkenny hears Mort needs help, he'll ride. Funny Royal Barnes never hunted Kilkenny for killing the Webbers, someone argued. With Barnes being half-brother to the Webbers and all, that'd be something. Barnes and Kilkenny, another agreed. Two of the fastest gunmen in the West. Conversation flowered in the room, and through it all, the name of Kilkenny was woven like a scarlet thread. One man had seen him in Abilene. Two men had cornered him there, two bad men trying to build a tough reputation. They had drawn, but both had died before they could fire a shot. Another man said he had seen Kilkenny hold his hand out at arm's length with a poker chip on its back. Then he had tipped his hand slowly, and when the chip fell free, he had drawn and fired before the chip reached the level of his waist. He's faster than Hickok, someone else said dogmatically, and he's got the nerve of Ben Thompson. What's he look like? Still another demanded. I never seen the feller. Nobody agrees, the cattle buyer said. I've heard a dozen descriptions of Kilkenny, and no two alike. He never makes himself known until the guns start shooting, and he fades right after. Nobody knows him. This wire won't last in Texas, a lean, raw-boned Texan changed the subject to say. That live oak country, nor this neither, they ain't made for wire. It's free range and always will be. The buffalo was here before the longhorn, and it was free grass then. It always has been. I don't know, someone else said doubtfully. There's farmers coming out from the east, hoe men who'll fence their own ground and break the sod for crops. This country ain't right for farming, I tell you, a young cowhand said. You ever follow a trail herd? If and they ever plow this plains country up, it'll blow clean to Mexico. But even as the men in Dodge talked and condemned wires, along the right way in Botala, in the live oak country, lay huge reels of it, gleaming and new, literally miles of it on great spools, unloaded from wagon trains and ready to be strung. Reports implied there would soon be a railroad in Texas. Fat beef, good beef, would soon be in great demand. In this year of 1880, 40,000 tons of steel barbed wire of the Hache and Glidden Star varieties were to be sold to Texas ranchmen. In the bar of the old trail house in Botala, rancher Webb Steele smashed a ham-like fist upon the bar. We're putting it up, he shouted. Hoss high, pig tight, and bull strong. If them who don't like it want war, it's war they'll get. Who fences Lost Creek Valley? Some hardened soul demanded. You are Chet Lord. I'm fencing it, Steele declared, glaring about the room. 
and if necessary, my riders will ride the fence with rifles. Outside the bar room, a tall man in black trousers, black shirt, and a worn buckskin vest walked a rangy yellow horse down the one street of Botala, then swung down in front of the trail house. The buckskin relaxed, standing tree-legged, head hanging in weariness. The tall man loosened the cinch, taking in the street with quick, alert eyes. It was merely the usual double row of false-fronted buildings he saw, almost every one a saloon. He knew that men along the walk were looking at him, wondering about him, but he seemed not to notice. He could feel their eyes, though, like a tangible touch, lifting from his low-slung, tied-down guns to his lean brown face and green eyes. They were noticing the dust in the grain of his face, the dust on his clothing, the dust on the long-legged buckskin. They would know he had traveled far and fast, and that would mean he had traveled for a reason. When he stepped up on the walk, he closed his eyes for an instant. It was a trick he had learned that would leave his eyes accustomed to inner dimness much more quickly than would otherwise be the case. Then he stepped through the doors, letting his eyes shift from left to right, taking in the room in one swift, comprehensive glance. There was no one he knew. No one here, he was sure, knew him. Webb Steele, brawny and huge, strode past him through the doors, his gun seemingly small, buckled to his massive frame. I'll have a whiskey, the tall man said to the bartender. He took off his flat-crowned black hat to run his fingers around the sweaty band, then through his black curly hair. He replaced the hat, dropped his right hand to the bar, then glanced about. Several men leaned on the bar nearby. The nearest, a man who had walked to the bar, his steel left, was a slim, wiry young fellow in a fringed buckskin jacket and black jeans stuffed into cowhide boots. The young man had gray, cold eyes. He looked hard at the stranger. Don't I know you? he demanded. The green eyes lifted in a direct, expressionless look. You might. Riding through? Maybe. Want a job? Maybe. Ain't you a cowhand? Sometimes. I'll pay well. What outfit you with? I'm not with any outfit, the young man said sharply. I am the tumbling R. Yeah? The young man's face flamed and a queer, white eagerness came into his eyes. I don't like the way you said that, he snapped. Does it matter? drawled the tall man. For an instant the young rancher stared as if he couldn't believe his ears and he heard men hurriedly backing away from him. Something turned over inside him, and with a sickening sensation in the pit of his stomach, he realized with startling clarity that he was facing a gun battle, out in the open and alone. An icy chill went down his spine. Always before, when he had talked loud and free, the fact that he was Chep Lord's son had saved him. Men knew his hard-bitten old father only too well. Then there had been Bonner and Swindell, 
Those two men had affronted Steve Lord, and later both had been found dead in the trail, gun in hand. Suddenly the awful realization that he must fight swept over Steve Lord. Nothing his father might do afterward would do any good now. He stiffened. His face was tense and white as he stared into the cold green eyes of the stranger. Yeah, he snapped. It matters, and I'll make it matter. His hand hovered over his gun. For an instant, the watchers held their breaths. The tall man at the bar stared at Steve Lord coolly. Then Steve saw those hard green eyes change, and a glint of humor and friendliness came into them. With a shrug, the stranger turned away. Well, he drawled, don't kill me now. I hate to get shot on an empty stomach. Deliberately, he turned his back and looked at the bartender. About another whiskey. The trail sure does make a feller dry. Everyone began talking suddenly, and Steve Lord, astonished and relieved, dropped his hand to his side. Something had happened to him, and all he knew was that he had narrowly escaped death from a shootout with a man to whom blazing guns were not new. The tall man at the bar lifted his eyes to the mirror in time to see a thin-bodied fella with close-set eyes slide quietly from his chair and go out the side door. No one seemed to notice him go except the tall stranger who noted the intentness of the man's eyes and something sly in his movements. The stranger swallowed his drink, turned on his heel, and walked outside. The thin man who had left the trail house was talking with three men across the